This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, and with me, Cam Russell, and today we have the returns of, he is a musician, which will be very relevant for this. He is a uh, educator, lecturer. He is Asmil Yunor. Hi, folks. How are you? Great to have you here. <laughs> Great to have you here. As always. And, uh, and he is beaming to us all the way from Australia. Uh, he's a producer at BFM, and he's the one person I know who actually understands finances, which is going to come in important in a moment. He is Mikey Gong. Hi, Cam, and everyone. Great to be back, and good to see you again. Hi, <laughs> yeah. as well. he, he's <laughs> shivering in Melbourne. <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> With capital C. Yeah. So our three topics uh, this week will be, one is the gig economy. The oh, I, I see I've forgotten the words already, Asmil. What, how? Live houses and the um, informal economy. Let's put it uh-huh. yeah. Okay. Live houses and the informal economy. And topic number two is, should we retire early? And finally, topic number three is, well, it's the Mesolithic and how our bodies are not built for this age. So topic number one, Asmil, the live economy and the informal economy. Yeah. Um, you know, there's been a news lately, you know, um, you know, I think performing spaces, um, you know, crack house, recently on Castle Space, you know, this place has been raided by the DBKL. And essentially it's a permit issue, right? So, but in the community, we've always been pushing this, this concept of the, the live house. Uh, the Live House essentially is a music club that has its roots in, in Japan, um, starting in the underground. So these are venues and spaces that cater to music, live music primarily. Um, whereas I think a lot of Malaysians are more exposed to the kind of restaurant, bar, kind of like, you know, like the music is there to complement your food and drinking and it's not the main reason why these spaces exist. But also... On top of that, you know, it seems to be a grey area that none of the city councils in Malaysia, I don't know whether they've bothered to even look at it until, you know, we make a lot of noise, but um, because probably it doesn't make a lot of money. And, you know, a lot of the, the, the permit issues is like, it's insane. You know, you got to put down a 30,000 ringgit deposit to do one small gig. That only works for <laughs> concerts and, you know. And finally, apparently, you know, all of this is, lumped together um, as entertainment licenses, I suppose. Um, I don't know the details, but this also includes karaoke's and um, amusement parks. So that's not what live houses and this, you know, the informal gig economy is all about. Um, it's not financial economy. It's a cultural economy. And I think that language is lost. Um, because- well, 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 can you give a value to the, this uh, cultural economy that you're talking about? Well, I guess it's a trading of not necessarily currency, but meaning, you know, a sense of belonging, identity. So, for example, if you go to a punk gig, a punk venue, you know, people aren't minting money. You know, most of the people playing bands have other means of living, but you would maybe probably, you know, sell some of your CDs, T-shirts, etc. And, you know, won't get rich from that, but it's part of the identity of who you are as part of community. And you could actually expand this even to like traditional, traditional cultures and communities, right? We we wear a certain way. You do certain, you know, all of these performances and how you present yourself. So there's a parallel here that you know, um, 
the term they use is subcultures, right? Like music subcultures isn't far removed from traditional culture, to be honest. It's all about identity and place. And this is why, you know, is a cultural economy, you know, is is I think the the trading of meaning and values over just, you know, um finance. Yeah. Well, Mikey, you're you're a hard-nosed business uh <laughs> analyst. I mean, you know, if it doesn't make money, who cares? Surely. Uh, this is where I'll start with Arsenal. I think there's a value to the cultural economy that uh, what, what I call the real economy can't or shouldn't touch. And in the area of music or, or arts, there's certain giftings that those, those uh, that, that they prefer that you can't you can't quantify, but uh, also valuable. Now I know it sounds like a cliche, but um, and coming from a hard finance guy like myself, I don't care if some places don't make money. Uh, they should be sponsored or supported and to, con- and to continue to give what they'll give or they are giving. Mm, yeah. 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 It's very added. Yeah, I mean, you know, like like places get gentrified. Um, but, you know, it, why did these places become, you know, sort of uh, uh, fetishized or idealized? It's because of the informal aspect that the more culture economy of a place first, right? Then it becomes... Um, of course, there's, there's other things too, right? but you know, uh, that I think that's what um, I think the people in power or councils need to, you know, open their third eye to. Yeah, well, I'm I'm fascinated by the the kind of cu- the culture and entertainment of early KL history, the 1880s and 1890s, and one thing that really has struck me is that there never has been any care for any of that at all. Yeah. In in Kuala Lumpur. Yeah. It's it's a industrial town. It's a mining town. If you want to go get entertainment, go and do it on your own time, and indeed, go somewhere else. Yeah. You know, go to go to Penang, go to Singapore. This place is not about that kind of thing. Yeah, but see, this is how exactly how the paradigm is, right? These music underground venues, live houses are treated like opium dens. You know, they raid it, yeah. shut it down, and all these dodgy places, karaoke places, are still running. You know. So, so what? But the idea is, though, that I think it is to reinforce the idea. Uh, you know, don't forget, you're all serfs. Yeah, and you just work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's all we want from you. Yeah. You know, yeah. we've given uh, you television. You got the internet. <laughs> yeah. If you got a few spare minutes, go and you know, knock yourself out on a video game. But mm, you mm. know, you just work. Yeah. Mm. Arsenal is right, though. Sorry, uh, Arsenal. You are right about the lack of uh, that, that. If it's not commercialized on above ground, the authorities. Uh, tend to not see it. I mean, in the, for example, in the 80s and 90s, I had a friend. My Actually, my cousin used to be in, a, in a, an alternative band in Adelaide. He came over and he said, do you, do you, is there an underground scene here in KL and all that? I'm sure there was, but uh, Mr. Banker and myself didn't know where they were. All I could show him were all the Filipino bands in the five-star hotels <laughs> playing covers of, um, you know, Four Non Blondes and stuff, stuff like that. And it made me realize where is that underground scene? Yeah, it's tricky, right? Because it's about it's 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 also knowledge and your entrance into that world. So you know, it is very it's sub it's a subculture, right? So it's it's essentially um for it serves its own purpose for the own community, but you know, it's still open to others. But it it is almost meant to be exclusive, like you know, you gotta discover this. Mm. Is, there homo- is that does the council have a homogenous view towards these venues, or does it change in accordance with the people who are helming these councils? Mm, it seems to be homogenous. I mean, like you know, the raids have been happening in the two thousands, but back then they used to 
use moral panics, right? They call the geeks black metal geeks. They're Satan worshiping. Mm. Let's raid it, you know. But mm. now, as they when they raid, they say, "Oh yeah, they don't have the proper permits or licenses," and you know, these are these are things that haven't reprogressed really actually. It's not a vote winner. It's like, hey, uh, you know, folks, we we opened. 10 punk gig venues. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not yeah, going to get your votes anywhere. Exactly. There's nothing to gain out of it, I suppose. But, yeah. uh, but it's, again, it's community driven, right? And we, we value that nowadays. Like, oh, you know, community, community. But yeah, at the same time, one, one segment of community is kind of like sidelined. There's a double standard here going on. So, because yeah. if you, I mean, I, I think if you compare, so stand up comedy anyway. I don't know about um, live music, but stand-up comedy is big business. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, around the world, because it's a really simple financial model. It's one person, one microphone, entertaining at least, say, 300 people, maybe. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no real sound check. I was joking when I did open mic at uh, Crack House a couple of years back. It's like, <laughs> what's, a, what's open mic sound check like? It's just a mic and a mic stand. <laughs> you know? so, so, so it's very, yeah, it's very low, low, low budget, right? And, you know, and, you know, people love to be entertained. Jokes, I think. And that's yeah. probably missing with live music. So that's why I guess li- live music has a particular niche. But nevertheless, I think the same is the same ecosystem as where, where you know, stand-up comedy will be. And, you know, stand-up comedy is relatively new in Malaysia. So I think, you know, we, we share this, this, this sort of blues having dealing with authorities. I can't get out of, my, uh, out of my head the image, though, of what many people would consider to be music entertainment, which was one man, a big man, sitting in a big chair, and in front of him is, you know, some dancers and a bit of music, and behind him are the people. And that's, you know, it, entertainment is to, is to entertain one person. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, not, it's not a democratic thing. Yeah, it's not democratic, definitely. And, you know, um, this is why I think performers, whether, you know, even if you're underground or independent, indie, whatever, I think... There's always, in, you know, it's good. Like you or not, people aren't coming there for a lecture. You have to kind of entertain. Yeah. But whether it falls under entertainment official categories, now that's a different thing, right? So I guess that word is, is kind of loaded and there's a certain sort of uh, moral bias, you could say. Yeah. Well, we must move on. But, but I just want to ask you, Azmir, are you optimistic or pessimistic uh, moving forward in this? I'm always a pessimist. Uh, I think that, that that allows me to navigate better uh, yeah. this cultural, you know, barren landscape we have in Malaysia. So, yeah. but you know, I think I think the community is a lot more vocal now. I think what what has transpired recently, a lot of the noise is online, um, and some of it has moved on to to actually meeting. I've met saw some posts on social media that you know, meeting actual the meeting councils and so I have. I think just got to start a conversation. I think they just don't understand this world. Um, yeah. So that's more than anything else. Because at the end of the day, this is a capital city. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know? exactly. This isn't some provincial, this is a capital city. Exactly. It's treated <laughs> like some provincial backwater, right? <laughs> yeah. With yeah. just the sort of imprisoned people occasionally <laughs> let out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we move on. Uh, topic number two, Mikey. This is one of the most frightening topics anyone's ever for personally for me. Should we retire early? Okay. I can. I'm going to go back to my morning run on roots and talk about something related to finance and economics. It's about what's called the FIRE movement, uh, the financial independence, retire early uh, movement that started a few years ago and has 
well, to fund the pun, caught fire in a big way. Um, basically, it involves uh, savings and investing aggressively, maybe up to 50 to 75% of your income in order for you to have a comfortable retirement in your 30s and 40s uh, for, and for you to pursue um, your goals to, and achieve your dreams, whatever. Now I'm going to ask a very controversial question that we don't normally ask on the morning run uh, because it has more philosophical and holistic underpinnings. Is it a good thing to actually retire early to chase your dreams? Um, you know, and is it a good thing to leave the corporate rat race and, you know, and travel the world or to uh, drink coffee by the beach? Now, I before you, you or anyone else ask me and says, what are you talking about? I'd like to hear opinions on this. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm frightened. Uh, so, uh, Asmel, why, why are you frightened? <laughs> it's a good thing, isn't it, to retire? Oh God! I mean, I mean, people who get their act together at any age—they frighten me. Uh, I've got no retirement plans. I'm, I'm, I'm underwater. I'm. Oh, it's just so frightening. Um, savings. Oh my God, uh, Asmil, what, what do you think? <laughs> running, running from the earlier trait of being a pessimist. You know, I don't think I'll ever retire. Not in this this world we live in now. And I think the concept of retirement is sort of kind of uh, nostalgic. Um, I, I always see the image of, you know, a carrot and we're all dangling and we're all chasing that thing. But I always believe the fact that you can chase your dreams now. Why wait? You know, um, uh, you know the concept of middle life, mid, midlife crisis. I think that that's also a misnomer. It's like how it can only be midlife, you know, if you know when you're going to kind of expire and you do the maths and, you know, that whenever your middle is, you know, so... But I don't think uh, I don't I don't subscribe to that idea. Even though um, it is it is a it is important to think about it financially, probably. But conceptually, I think retiring is uh, it's a shameless a waste of I think your your faculties because I think you're at the peak. You know, the retirement age, right? You look at um, I live in Bangi, and my parents are used to be civil servants, and you would see like their 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 peers will retire, and they just wake up morning and spray, you know, just spray the plants and, you know, take care of it. You know, so when I think that's when you're at the peak of your knowledge and experience. Yeah. But it always used to be 55. Yeah, 55. Man, that's a peak now, right? 55 is like... Yeah. Can, I, can I just say, with the age of 55, that's a holdover. I mean, nowadays, I think it's actually been shifted up, but that's a holdover from the British Empire because they had mandatory for their civil servants <clears throat> retirement at 55 and you had to leave the country. And the reason why they chose the age of 55, apparently is because it was tested out that <clears throat> um, 55 was the age where a soldier was, was no longer on it, able, to, able to hold up a rifle. I see. That's right. it. Okay, there you go. There you yeah. Go. We need, yeah, so we need to decolonize our retirement age, folks. Absolutely, yeah. 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 So I, I, I can't afford to retire. But Mikey, um, you know, you, I, I want to ask you, though, you were saying people who aggressively save mm. 70%. 50 to 75% of their income. Throughout their twenties mm, and thirty, and possibly their thirties, in order to re retire in their thirties and forties. But people so, in their twenties and they can't afford to buy a property or anything. Then, if that's the case, I mean, they can barely afford to feed themselves. Right. So there are certain key ten and aspects of this movement. You said, and one thing you have to be and and cognizant of is that you you're going to sacrifice a lot in what in your most productive years to achieve what you 
theoretically want to achieve in your 40s and 50s, right? So you're going to give up a lot of uh, entertainment. You're going to give a lot of uh, little luxuries that you could possibly afford, but you choose not to. Uh, like, for example, going out for dinners and things like that. So you and you live a very ascetic-based life. And I and looking back, and I'm not so sure that that's, that works for everybody or whether it should actually, uh, whether it's even practical for people for, and, for, for, and for most people. Uh, because it's a pretty Spartan life at times. That's a good point. Because, I mean, I've always lived a kind of Spartan aesthetic life anyway because I'm not really uh, materialistic, but... And yet you haven't saved any money. <laughs> oh, no, I do. I do save. I do. I do. I do save. Yeah. So, All right. uh, yeah. So I'm going to write a book about that. But anyway. Uh, the Spartan of Spartans. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think you, we, when you start living a very Spartan life, you realize how little you need to just be happy. I think that's important, right? So, so mm. that's why I meant that, that you can actually live that dream right now if you kind of uh, reassess what you're, what your desires are, I suppose, you know, yeah. Just don't eat out. It's so expensive to eat out. Eat at home. Yeah, yeah. Not true. But Mikey, if you could then turn the clock back and start again, you know, you've just graduated or whatever, you've just entered the, the workforce. Could you conceive of it? I mean, or have you indeed done this? Did you do this? Um, I saved quite a bit uh, when I was actually working full on in banking because I don't trust myself to actually, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, spend wisely. So I locked a big chunk of, uh, so and so I did lock um, and a lot yeah. of my savings away. But at the same time, I didn't believe that it was healthy to withhold, uh, you know, from yourself certain things in life that only money could buy, and that you could enjoy that stage, like um, going to gigs, for example, um, you know. Uh, and I would be a much culturally poorer person if I didn't actually fork out some, you know, some dosh to go to concerts or to events, uh, which I 100%, I look back with fond memories and have no regrets whatsoever. So, no. I, I really feel like I'm talking to two grown-ups and I'm <laughs> and I'm such a child. I mean, locked inside a adolescent. In that case? I, I, know, I, think, I think that it's because I got, I got it's impulse control. Um, you know, there's a nice cake. I want that cake now. So what, 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 so sorry, Kev, what is it about this that kind of like frightens you? Is it the retirement part? Is it the fact that you may, you may, and inwardly you feel that you, you, you weren't, and you didn't do the right thing when you were, yes. uh, yes. okay. All of the above. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, that was easy. Yes, oh, that was yes. easy. <laughs> so have a montage of regrets right now. Exactly. <laughs> montage of regrets. Okay. Sure regret sense. everything. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, and it's just way too late. It's just way too late. It's, uh, you can't turn back the clock and, uh, you know, um, mm. and on that happy note, let's <laughs> 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 no, but I mean, it's, it's psychological as well. It is impulse control, isn't it? I mean, you have to be able to switch, yeah, switch I mean, things off. Don't I you? Mean, that, that's mm. pleasure. That's ple- pleasure in delayed gratification. You know, if, if, if you, so I, I that's of, true. Yeah, there's some certain pleasure you can get out of that. Yeah, I mean, I spent I spent um, many many years, most of my life, being very broke, and I've I've had to cut out things, and I haven't missed those things. But um, yeah, savings, Mikey, can we please move on? Attention, you could just feel that it is it, as Asmil says. There's a montage 
going on in my head just now and it's like can you feel the sense of ennui right now yeah and it's yeah being played to very sad music in there's French. a book there Cam. there's a book there yeah it's a very yeah. sad book <laughs> I like sadness you're gonna have to play um eddie chaos song on the way out here yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> um so anyway uh <laughs> thank you for that uh topic mikey and uh you're welcome i think in a, in a moment we're gonna go uh way back in time uh, to the Mesolithic here on A Bit of Culture, BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself, Cam Ruslan, Asmu Yunor, and Mikey Gong. And now um, we're going to go take a trip way back. How our bodies are not built for the modern age and how actually obesity is a good thing, or was. Uh, I went to this bookshop, Tsutaya, over in Bukit Jalil, and uh, I recommended it last week, and I bought a book, and it's really good. It's called Built on Bones by Brenna Hassett, who's an archaeologist, and it's about the high, how, when, why of uh, how humans came to not live as hunter-gatherers but lived in cities, how they settled down, and also what have been the health costs in that movement. So uh, city life sort of began in fits and starts, but... 15,000 years ago to 10,000 years ago. Before that, for, you know, millions of years, certainly for hundreds of thousands of years, we humans were hunter-gatherers and we'd, we'd move around in, in what was called the Mesolithic, uh, move around from place to place and pick berries and occasionally catch a woolly mammoth if we were very lucky. So we might get to eat some meat. Then uh, settled down and stayed in one place and started living on diets that were wheat or maize or rice-based. And uh, there were certain health costs to that. We became shorter. We uh, lived for shorter. And also our faces became smaller. Um, I wish I could remember what she said was the mechanism behind that. But it's one of the reasons why we have funny teeth now. We actually don't have enough space in our heads for all the teeth that we have. It's peculiar, huh? Oh, that explains the wisdom tooth and all that stuff. Okay. Exactly. All that kind of thing. And, uh, and also another thing is um, that I found really fascinating was say, obesity. So our bodies are built for that lifestyle for hundreds of thousands of years. 10,000 years is nothing. And certainly since the Second World War, when we've got antibiotics, we've got food coming out of our ears, uh, we're not built for 50 odd years. And in the, the previous age, <clears throat> we might be able to eat a lot in one go if we caught a woolly mammoth. We'd have to eat it fast because none of us were pulling around a refrigerator. So we get full up, but we might then not be able to eat again. We might not have, find nothing to eat or not enough to eat for a long period of time. So you'd store, the body would think, okay, uh, great to have some food now. Let's store it up uh, for when it's famine. You'd store it up. Yeah. So obesity was a good thing. Diabetes, likewise, apparently, uh, <clears throat> was good for the famine. But now it's a bad thing. Because we can eat pretty much anything at any time. So in a way, we should look at our afflictions uh, the other way around and see how actually it was designed into our bodies as being a benefit. That's interesting. So, yeah. It is. Yeah. Uh, Mikey, uh, <clears throat> you mentioned you had, you had thoughts on this age. Right. Um, yes. So... The key was, um, was when you said, you know, obesity might be a good thing. Um, 
in my early years, uh, I was actually extremely overweight, uh, quite overweight actually. And I couldn't see it as a good thing. I felt bad most of the time. Um, I had a, a lot of health issues. And so this kind of, um, it didn't trigger me, but it made me think about what, you know, what you said. I actually came to a conclusion, and this is what I, this is where I stand at the moment. Uh, yes, modern living has given us a lot of um, comfort, comforts and, and accessibility to, to foods, but it's also given us a lot of, um, of ways in which to actually mitigate those ailments that you talk about. Now, some of them may be pharmaceutical, which may, you know, and, but the bottom line is that we have the tools and we have the, uh, what we need to actually build or sort of um, construct a modern diet for a modern man. Yeah. And we don't have to be a slave to our genes in that sense. Yeah. Cause also I mean, there are people who, uh, you know, who say, I oh, know I can eat anything and I just, I just never put on weight and <laughs> you kind of yeah. hate those. But the thing is, you see back in the old days, no, but in the Mesolithic, they'd be dead. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but I guess, but isn't it a system that we created with this capitalism that also, you know, is, is led to this, you know, now that, you know, for example, he's talking about meat, you know, mm. you don't have to go even far, like, like 50, 100 years ago, meat was, a, you know, if you if you had like yeah. a festival, a feast, you have a meat, but now you can, because of, oh, I've earned money, I can eat whatever the hell I want now, you know, like a uh, yeah. steak, you know, or rendang, you know, or whatever, when that's supposed to be once a year kind of thing. Exactly. You know? Yeah, I, I was talking to uh, a friend of mine, and she's just only a little bit older than me, and she's mm -hmm. from uh, Kuala Kangsa, and so she was talking about the, the Sultan's birthday and how it was such a big deal back in its mm -hmm. day because mm -hmm. then, you know, you feasted yeah. <laughs> on dishes yeah. like rendang, like meat, basically, that you never yeah. normally get. Yeah. And now you get that every single day. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and we we got this food meat shortage because we want to feast all the time. I think that's a problem too, right? That's yeah. true. I, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, and, and many of the cuisines that we think you know our national cuisines they were they were palace cuisines. Yes. Mm. True, true. Whereas you know a, a, a Malay a real Malay diet would be fish, rice, yeah. bit of salad, some sambal. Mm. Yeah, that's it. Uh, that's Monday, Tuesday. Fish, rice, but it's. <laughs> <laughs> oh. yes. Yeah. So, so I just want to. I mean, prescriptions. Uh, and, okay. Well, uh, all right, prescriptions. I think that one thing is um, we should. Our, our bodies. So, uh, you know, we have these minds where we can consider our own existence, which is quite remarkable, really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's stuck on top of a body that's really ancient and yeah. so i guess you have to teach your body that don't worry you're not going to starve you know mm. you feed it enough not too much you feed it regularly yeah. not too regularly so the body never gets to oh my god it's famine mm. i haven't eaten for five hours famine famine <laughs> emergency <laughs> yeah. store fat um and also you know for women one of the things that's really interesting also that in in our deep past uh hum we would have uh would space out the uh years between having children mm. because if you're having to move from place to place and you've got a child that's five year old two year old and a baby you just can't do it yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you'd have to have a gap you know, it could be 
six-year gap more between them so that by the time you're moving on, that other child can now walk. Yeah. But, but it's an interesting point here. Because like, like when you think about modern medicine and all this stuff, I mean, it's kind of countering natural selection, right? So do you think is, like yeah. Yeah. our society, you know, we're not meant to have this many people because those who couldn't actually make the grid uh, allowed to carry on, you know, it might be a, a utilitarian way of thinking, but yeah, and pretty, pretty cruel. Uh, cruel, mm. cool. But, uh, yeah, yeah, but... Asmil, emperor of the universe. I'm a bit scared. <laughs> <laughs> but you look no, at no, the no. Nat- you look at the natural world. That's how it is, right? There's no. There was this, uh, yeah, there's a scene in the movie. Asmil, uh, I mean, what you just said reminded me of the scene in this movie, Map of the Human Heart. And there's this group of Eskimos, and there's this uh, grandmother who's just too old to go with them and they just leave in the snow and they walk away and that uh, kind of haunted me for quite a while after that yeah yeah, yeah. Romans for instance would uh, they were pretty if they didn't want a child they would a baby they just they just put it on the rubbish tip mm. and without <laughs> thinking it was like okay yeah. I don't want it put it on the rubbish tip <laughs> crazy there you go. Yeah. Um, but no but it, it wasn't all great in the Mesolithic it was uh, yes <laughs> <laughs> no, and it was. I mean, it's difficult apparently by looking at bones to to always detect how a person died, um, unless it's a, a real disease. So, but there was one disease where it still exists, but it's very rare. Where uh, when you eat tainted meat, you uh, it's a bacteria, and it, it makes your spine dissolve. Oh, it becomes mm, mush. Wow. It was. She likened yeah. it to being like just melting butter. Oh, man. Yeah, and so that's not fun. <laughs> no. Um, and and I mean, I, I'm not even moving much more nearer to time. My mother, for instance, she's in her 80s now. She, I cannot persuade her to drink water. Um, hmm. Because when she was growing up, water was dangerous. True. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> you know. Just and, like now our kids think sugar is fine. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But kids, you know, not so long ago, it would have been just everybody had to drink beer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was yeah, the only safe exactly. thing to drink. That's safe. Yeah. <laughs> that period of time would have been interesting. Yeah, safe water and everybody would be, yeah. But also, I mean, they, the, the, the alcohol percent wasn't so great. But if you think of uh, human history, people were making decisions while drunk. Mm. Yes. So, so you got to reflect on history, right? All these wars and conquering. Yeah. Exactly. They were <laughs> all <laughs> drunk all <laughs> the time. <laughs> anyway, we'll we, we move on. I, I, I find um, ancient history fascinating because I, I love hit, reading history from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to get a sh- book, man. Gotta get a book, huh? Yeah, I'll 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 shout it out in a moment. Um, so we must move on though to uh, recommendations, where we recommend. Uh, something that we think might be of interest. And Asmil goes first. All right. Uh, in my line of work, self-promotion is very important. So I will recommend my weekly show at Medekaria. I'm playing every Wednesday nights in August. So come by. If you've never seen, let's demystify the, the, the local live performing arts venue. If you haven't been out, folks, and I know most of you are listening in, probably just think of big concerts, but come by. Madekaria and PJ, just Google name, madekaria.com. I'm playing every Wednesdays in August. You, you got like a, a residency like Britney in Las Vegas. Yeah, they're trying a different <laughs> format now, yeah. So that's that's my Vegas. That's as far I'll go. I won't get to Vegas, but I'll get to PJ for sure. <laughs> what, what misconceptions do you want to demystify about these I guess, these I guess I guess the fact that, you know, well, uh, musicians and songwriters have opinions and they write all own material that can be equally compelling. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Support your local, uh, you know, your local mm. kind of arts venue. I think that's important too. Yeah, and Mudekaria, they've, through thick and thin, they've, and it hasn't been easy. And it's not easy. Mm. It's not easy. Mm. Uh, there are no favors given to anybody who wants to set up a, a permanent venue. Yeah. No, it, 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 it's like persecuted. I know, it's ridiculous. That's right. Come by and feel that you're contributing to the community books. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The entertain well, by me. Yes. And <laughs> yeah, Asma Yunal, who is now the Celine Dion of uh, PJ Section 5. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's an image, actually. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, uh, Mikey, what have you got? Okay. So, uh, a couple of my friends have listened to the show. Uh, said to me the other day, Mike, you're such a boomer. You keep talking about the music of the uh, 70s and 80s as being better than, you know. Kind of, you That's know, because it is. It's because it is. I agree. But, and I said, <laughs> you know, and I said, open your mind a bit, you know, listen to today's music and tell me what you think. Well, I've got something to say to you. You're never going to change my mind. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I will concede one thing. Uh, there are some great cover bands that and these days uh, they cover the music of the 70s and 80s uh, that are incredible. And I'm going to re- recommend two artists. Um, one is actually from Australia, from Italy of all places, the Hindley Street Country Club. Uh, they do covers of music from the 70s to the 90s. And they do a really great uh, rendition of uh, Under Pressure by Bowie and, and Queen. So, uh, Cam, I know you're a great fan of uh, David Bowie. So just give that a listen and tell me what you think the next time. I'm very suspicious. I'm bristling here. I want to punch the screen. Yeah. Carry on, Mikey. <laughs> he he wants to strangle me, uh, listener. So, but uh, thank God uh, we're separated by a few thousand miles. And the, uh, the other artist is called Ruma. She's, um, she sings covers, uh, most, most notably from... Of, Burt Baccarat and Hal David's covers. Oh, okay. So, uh, uh, you know. Um, well, those, those songs are supposed to be covered. I mean, you know, that's... That's, <laughs> that's true, yeah. Actually, that's, like, that's it's like point. a... Yeah. Say, you can't really say like a cover of a Cole Porter song. It's like, you know, it's for everyone. Um, oh, yeah. A bit like... Well, kind of like Bob Dylan. His songs are meant to be covered <laughs> all the time. Uh. <laughs> See, now Asmil's going to want to punch you in the face. <laughs> no, no, no. no. I, 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 I ain't a puncher, man. I ain't a puncher. But, 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 but these bands are young, young musicians or the, the younger generation? Ruben? Okay, yes. Okay. So Heine Street Country Club is wonderful because they've got a mixture of um, older folks like myself and younger and uh, youngish looking people like uh, Asmil. <laughs> um <laughs> Ruma is young. I don't know what age she is, uh, but she's looks quite young and um, kind of like a, 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 a somewhere around Adele's age. Not sure about that, but uh, yeah, mm. uh, give them a go. Mm. Okay, that's what Hainanese Country Club. What? No, no, no. We're not talking about chicken chop covers here. Yeah, that's a cool band name, though. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't mind going there. Actually, I want to copyright that. No, <laughs> Hindley Street Country Club. H-I-N-D-L-E-Y. It's a street in Adelaide. Oh, okay. Street, so, All right. Yeah. All right, but... Yeah, but well, Hainanese Country Club, that makes me feel hungry. Um, Actually, I, I prefer I, that name. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think modern music is rubbish, by the way. It's just that, you know, different ages, <sighs> different appetites and stuff 
people who came before me thought that my stuff was rubbish and you know, so it's just the way it well. is. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not science. Uh, although not the science. Beatles are scientifically better than anything else. That is science. That is science. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, my recommendations, I, I recommend the book that I was talking about earlier. I haven't finished it, got up barely even begun it, but I find it absolutely fascinating. Um, she is Brenna Hassett. She is an archaeologist, one of those people that those uh, ancient alien types sort of deride, mainstream scientist. And uh, it's called Built on Bones, 15,000 Years of Urban Life and Death. She gets a, li- uh, she's a bit chatty. She's not as funny as she thinks she is. But the, <laughs> the actual science and the actual archaeology is, is really fascinating. And um, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, popular. it's popular science, popular history. And uh, so she, she really fleshes it out beautifully. Um, so, yeah, Built on Bones by Brenna Hassett. And when was the Mesolithic, Mesolithic era, so to speak? Oh, you're gonna. Oh, you're asking me difficult questions now. Um, well, it it ended with the Neolithic came in, and I think we can say that that was around fifteen thousand years ago. Right. Okay. So, um, but I could be completely wrong. <laughs> I'd have to Google it. But uh, oh, the meso- meso- Mesolithic must have been an amazing time. Very small populations, and you could imagine walking across the landscapes of this planet in those times and perhaps being the first person to walk into, I don't know, Siberia. <laughs> it, no crowded it, LRTs. Yeah, well, no, yeah, absolutely nothing. It would have been just astonishingly beautiful. It would be wonderful predator animals too, apex hunters too, right? Yeah, yeah. And it wouldn't <laughs> and, and humans wouldn't have been would not have been the apex hunters. Yeah, we no. would have been we would I think we would have been great marathoners then. Having to run away from these things. Yeah. So anyway, so uh, that brings us to the end of this week's show. And only reminds me to thank, uh, well, Mikey, thank you so much for joining us from Melbourne. Thanks, Cam. Thanks, Asmo. It's been a blast. Yeah, it's great. Great to see you again. And Asmo, you know, joining us directly from Bangi. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. Hey, <laughs> Asmil, you got any music? Uh, aside from your gigs that you'd like to tell us about that we could purchase? Oh, okay. Group? Well, I've got that, that album, John Bungie Blues. Uh, check it out. You can you can test drive those songs at azmil, A-Z-M-Y-L, dot bandcamp.com. Um, yeah, you can, you, can, you can purchase it online also, but I would recommend a CD, you know, something at hold and, you know, throw into a wall in frustration just in case, you know. Yeah, it'll last longer than language. I will. Yeah. <laughs> how do we how, how 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 do we buy compact discs in this day and age? How do we go about that? Do we go to a shop? There's there's some <laughs> independent music shops. Or you can just drop me a message on my Instagram or you know, um and you know I'll 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 deliver it to you, either by mail or if you're nearby, home delivery. Oh my god. Personal touch. Yeah. Oh wow. That's how amazing. much more can you ask? Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. <laughs> On a horse or something, probably. Uh, a bullet cart coming down the... the uh, road. With a free burger to yeah. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Okay, well, uh, well um, and myself, uh, Cam Rustland, thank you very much to all of you. And join us next week for another exciting episode of A Bit of Culture here on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.